Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. There's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. I know, I know, I know. Where have I been? Why has it taken so long to get this episode recorded? First of all, this particular subject takes a bit of time and thought and preparation it's not a fly-by-night type of topic. And I gather that you guys appreciate, appreciate that. That I'm willing to go deeper or off the beaten sports slash NBA path. The other part is that I knew that this was going to be a long episode. And so I was just reluctant to get at it. And the third is that these subjects, these topics, they kind of tug at my soul. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but they are deep, meaningful topics to me. And so sometimes it's just hard to dive in and put myself out there. But I'm doing this because I promised I would. This is a part two on the nexus between what we see and read and hear and how we interpret it in society, particularly when it comes into view through the lens of sports. Now, I realize if I put all that in the title of this podcast, I'm not sure how many people would actually download it. And at this point, I'd rather talk about Jason Tatum and my concerns about banking on him as a superstar or the Celtics having championship DNA or about Zion and some new revelations there, or Zion and Rudy Gobert and the unwritten rules of how you finish a game. And I will try to get to those subjects, and I will try to get to them, I promise, sooner than I got to this one. But this episode is going to be about LeBron James and Cowboys owner Jerry Jones and the reaction to the recent surfacing of a photo of Jerry at 14 in a crowd at his high school in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1957 on the first day that six black students showed up as part of integrating the school. Because I do think there's something we can learn from this latest spasm of sports putting our relationships as human beings in the crosshairs of our collective conscience. But that part I said at the start about how we interpret events that happen in the world of sports, that's what the last podcast was about too. Now, I didn't really grasp that that's what I was talking about when I recorded it, which I ended up calling that episode Steph and Distorting Reality. That one, as you most of you probably know, was about the reaction to... Steph Curry putting out a video clip that shows him making five consecutive full-court heaves, a video that proved to be doctored 
which, considering that it was made in conjunction with Steph being selected or announced as Sports Illustrated's Sportsman of the Year, I find that juxtaposition a little bit interesting. The episode also covered my distress at seeing Adolf Hitler's legacy being discussed. Cavalierly, I might add, as if it were up for interpretation and my firsthand reasons for finding that not only appalling, but dangerous. And the reason I felt I could delve into it is because some of that was instigated by Kyrie Irving and his posting of an anti-Semitic movie. I don't know that the reaction to the Jerry Jones photo is dangerous as much as it is sad because it shows how far we have to go to make these conversations meaningful. The conversation bubbled up, never really went anywhere, and then we went on our merry ways. Have you heard anything since? And I agree with LeBron in this regard. It shouldn't just go away. There is so much we could all learn if we were willing to honestly look at where we've been and where we are now. But that takes time and thought and conversation, not just reaction. Again, it's kind of why these podcasts, my episodes, don't come out as quickly as you or I would like. The story in the Washington Post that accompanied the Jones photo does delve into that, although I struggle with its premise, and I'll get to that in a moment. What I find maybe most fascinating is that the discussion was all about the photo, not the story. Now, a picture can be worth a thousand words, as it's been said, but that in no way means a photo is worth more than a thousand written words. But reading a thousand words requires time, whereas looking at a photo and reacting, well, that takes almost no time at all. Anyway, I'm going to talk about the photo because that's what LeBron took issue with, that he wasn't asked about the photo. And the photo in question shows a crowd of white students, news reporters and cameramen mixed in, all white except for a handful of black students in their midst at what appears to be, and the story explains, is the main entrance to the school. The students are almost all boys in the photo, including the black students. Based on the mix of cameras and what appears to be a male reporter with a notepad talking to one of the black students, the photo suggests that this was an event that was widely advertised and anticipated. The photo that's being circulated was taken at the time by the Associated Press. That's a national organization, a nat- national news organization with local outlets. Uh, and there were other reporters there. Whatever was happening or was expected to happen, the entire town, possibly the entire state, maybe even the entire nation knew about it. Jerry, Jerry Jones, is not among the boys directly in front of the black students appearing to confront them. Jerry is in the middle of the crowd. I would guess 50, 60 kids were there in the mix. Maybe let's go to 70, including all the news people. It looks as if Jerry is trying to peer over and around those surrounding him to see what's going on at the front. The student, the white student that caught my attention is the one directly in front of the first black student. And now it's a black and white photo, as I might have said, but he, he appears, the student, the white student, to be wearing some sort of striped pullover, which is easily the most fashion-forward piece of clothing in the photo. He has a cigarette clenched between his lips and a fierce look as he stares directly into the eyes of the first black student. He's got ringleader written all over him. A black leather motorcycle jacket would have looked perfect on him. I don't want to date myself, but seemed like a malevolent Fonzie. 
And if you look closely, there's a hand gripping his neck from behind as if someone is holding him back. Uh, I could easily write a thousand words about what I see in the photo, but it would be amateur sleuthing. The reality is that this was a snapshot of a single moment. We don't see what led up to it. We don't know what happened afterward. Turns out the black students never gained entrance to the school that day or ever, and the school was never integrated, at least in that time frame. Supposedly it's integrated now. As a wordsmith, I find it in interesting, by the way, that we refer to what the school attempted to do was desegregate. I could go into depth on what such word choices say about us and where they come from and how they influence the national conversation. But I don't think that's why the majority of you listen to this podcast. Could be wrong. If I'm wrong, let me know. But think about your life in high school, places you were, people you hung out with, or from during any part of your life. What if someone took a snapshot of you in that moment? What would they infer? Quick personal story. As a high school senior back in Cincinnati, I spent my winter playing basketball for a Jewish community center team. I was raised Catholic. Soccer was my primary focus at that point. It was the sport I knew I'd play in college. It's a matter of where I was going to play. Although I dreamed of playing basketball at the collegiate level as well. I just knew it was a long shot. And in retrospect, it was one of those dreams that a high school kid has as opposed to a realistic possibility. Uh, in any case, this JC, JCC team had a starting five that included me and two black classmates, one of which I considered my best friend at the time. Now, I played for the JCC because they traveled, and I thought it would be fun to play in tournaments that got me out of the frigid Cincinnati winters with some of my buddies. I was always looking for ways to get out of Cincinnati, and that's not a knock on the city. I just knew there was more out there than what Cincinnati offered, and anybody who's been through freezing rain, it's not snow. It's uh, Snow, I love snow. Freezing rain... There is nothing enjoyable about freezing rain. It's treacherous, and Cincinnati seems to have cornered the market on freezing rain. has more freezing rain than any place I've ever been. Anyway, so I'm on the JCC team. I'm getting out of Cincinnati for a couple days at a time during the winter. Uh, and one of the tournaments we played in, coincidentally, since we happen to be talking about Jerry Jones was in Dallas. My best friend and I were supposed to room with a particular Jewish family. All the players from the team were kind of split up and placed in pairs with various families. At the last minute, the rooming list was changed and I was paired with one of our white Jewish guards. When we asked why, we were told that the family hosting us had never had a black person in their house and they apparently weren't going to start with a high school boy from Cincinnati. What stays with me even to till today is how normal everyone took that to be. We're talking about the cusp of the, we're talking about 1979, 1980, right around there. Uh, I got the distinct feeling that this wasn't an extraordinary event because it was handled so matter-of-factly. And it also ran contrary to what I had experienced, was, was, and this made it shocking for me, Jews and blacks had a certain camaraderie as a result of both being discriminated against and ostracized. Now, I don't know what the family's reputation was, or if they demonstrated their racism in any other way. I recall saying at the time that I wanted to be moved as well and being kind of talked out of that. People in charge, both those hosting us and those with us as our chaperones, wanted to sweep it all under the rug. Now, 
Should I have stood my ground, made a statement? I was at least two years older than Jerry Jones was in his photo at that time. And I didn't have that in me. I felt it was wrong. It bothered me. But I followed the direction of my elders. Now imagine if someone did a deep dive on me the way the Post did Jerry Jones. And they went back and they found a photo of me with that family. And let's say that that family's racism turned out to be widely known. That they were clearly about segregation even at that time in our history in Dallas. Or let's say their name was Kushner. <laughs> and it turned out they had a son named Jared. What would you confer from that photo, seeing me in it? Would you give me the benefit of the doubt? Or would you second guess everything I've done since? Would you equate my presence in that photo with my occasional issues with LeBron or anybody else who happens to be black and say, see, I knew it. Now, maybe I'm being cynical here, but I am not the least bit surprised that Jerry Jones might show up in that photo, both because of who he is and where he was. He grew up in Arkansas. That's Ku Klux Klan territory. If you read the Post story, his grandfather was a member and his dad ran for office but believed in segregation. There's a suggestion that the blocking of the black students from entering the school was organized by adults, and I would, I would bet on that being the case. You think any of those white boys unilaterally decided that they didn't want their school integrated, that they didn't want to share a classroom or a campus with black boys and girls, that they came up with that idea all by themselves? I highly doubt it. They were raised to think and live and learn that way. The family I stayed with in Dallas had a daughter named Mitzi. You don't forget a name like that. She apparently was oblivious to the fact that the rooming list had to be changed. She certainly didn't have an issue with my black teammates when she met them. If I remember correctly, we all ended up hanging out together at some point during the stay. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't her call that my friend couldn't stay at their house. I'm also pretty sure that whatever stand those high school boys back in Arkansas were taking, it was a stand generated by their families. Let's put it this way. I highly doubt the parents of the kid in the striped shirt were advocates, advocates of desegregation, or as I would think of it, integration, and that he was bucking the family philosophy. If Jerry Jones's school was being integrated, it stands to reason that none of those boys had been classmates with a black kid before. And Jerry spent considerable time around black folk. But so did his dad as the owner of a grocery store that did not discriminate who could shop there. And yet he believed in segregation when it came to schools. So how did those boys know what it would be like enough to be vehemently opposed to it? Why would they have a preconceived notion about it unless they were taught that at home? Why else would they take the stand that it could not, should not happen? In one of the photos, one of the other photos, it appears that there is a policeman between, who steps in at some point between the white students and the black students. And as I said, Integration did not happen that day or any time in the next 10, 15, 20 years. What does that say to those kids, those white kids? And what does it say about that community that a police officer did not have the authority to get those black kids into the school? To that end, the true measure of all this Jerry seeing what he saw then and what he's experienced since will be reflected in what Stephen Jones, his son, does. Has anybody had a conversation with Stephen about seeing his dad in that photo? The Post story did not. And that is something I'd love to know.
That would tell me more about Jerry and his views than anything Jerry could tell me. What has he taught Stephen about race relations, about black people, about how he grew up and how he sees the world now? Jerry says the high school football coach told his players not to get involved. Another sign that this momentous event was well anticipated. Jerry's greatest fear at the time, he said, was that the coach would find out that he'd been there in spite of what the coach had instructed him or the team to do. I'd love to know how many other football players were in that photo. I'd love to know if the kid in the striped shirt was on the football team. My experience is that when it comes to defending a school's perceived honor, they're the first to jump into the fray, especially if it looks like it could get physical. Now, Jerry was working his ass off to make the B squad at the time. 14 years old, I don't know, looked like he weighed about a buck 40. But his desire to be part of a football team is so great at enduring that he bought a professional football team so he could be part of one as much and for as long as he likes. What are the chances he was in that photo because his friends and teammates were? My point is that it's hardly surprising to me that Jerry might be in that photo, and at the same time, I'm not ready to interpret his presence in it as meaning that he was dead set against going to school with a black kid. And even if he was... It doesn't mean he still thinks that way now. He was 14 years old. That would make him a freshman. How many high school freshmen do you know that are even remotely considered a big man on campus? Based on where he was in the photo and his age, I find it hard to believe he was leading any sort of charge. And do we want to accuse him of something if he wasn't? If he was indeed there because something was happening at the school and he wanted to see what it was, does that mean he was involved? I think it's a fair question. And I say none of this to defend Jerry. I have no idea what his view of black people was then or now. He may very well hold them in low regard. He very well may have racist views. From everything I've seen and read about him, his only concern is making money and getting attention. Everything else, negotiable. Taking that photo and his hiring practices as the owner of the Cowboys and tying them together to mean something to me is reckless and unfair. Which is what the Washington Post story does and plenty of people on social media have. And it's why I take issue with the story. Yes, Jerry is a powerful NFL owner. One of, if not the most, powerful NFL owner. Yes, Jerry has hired eight head coaches during his tenure as owner of the Cowboys. And no, not one of them has been black. They've all been white. I wouldn't assume he's not racist if he had hired all black head coaches. That he gave Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott monster contracts doesn't prove he isn't racist either. The commentary I struggled with the most came from Stephen A. Smith, who suggested he was being out front about his take by starting off saying he was very fond of Jerry Jones. He didn't say why he was fond of him. He didn't say how he became fond of him. He just prefaced his remarks with that statement to suggest we're close. That was the inference. He didn't say what he knew of Jerry's history before becoming fond of him. Now, why he's fond of Jerry is really important, or at least it became so once Stephen A. brought it up. Because he then went on to say that it was not fair that questions were being raised about Jerry Jones' presence in that photo because it happened 65 years ago. He didn't really say more than that. He just simply kept repeating the fact that Jerry was 14 or 15 years old and that this was 65 years ago. I'll agree with him 
that I'm troubled by anyone taking something that someone did as a teenager 65 years ago and using it to define who they are today. What I'm not against is seeing a photo of someone 65 years ago and asking, not if it defines them today, that's a bit too easy to maneuver around, but what their experience was 65 years ago and what they've learned since and how they think that's reflected in the way they conduct themselves today. And I say all that more than willing to be put to the same test. I'm not fearful of anyone digging into my past, and it's not because it's a perfectly shiny one. Trust me, by any means. But I know who I am today and what I believe in and the kind of person I try to be. And I do believe that my experiences, both good and bad, my, both my successes and my mistakes, have all come to shape who I am and how I see the world today. I know who I am today and what I believe in and the kind of person I try to be. Maybe not everyone feels compelled to take that test. But this is the one, of thing, one of the things about having a platform and the opportunity to influence opinions. I believe people who have that should be clear about who they are and where they came from and the influences in their life, especially when they start addressing a subject like Jerry Jones and racism in the NFL. Because that's really, when we come down to it, that's really what this is about. Racism in America, parentheses, through the auspices of the NFL. So again, why is the period of time a reason the photo is unfair? Why is it unfair to ask a question? Draw a conclusion off a single photo? Sure, that's unfair. I ran into a vlog or simulcast podcast by someone as I was doing my research for this. And the bearded white dude in the vlog kept referring to the kids in the photo as white supremacists. What's Jerry doing with all those white supremacists? It was a bit much. Aside from the fact that the photo did not provide evidence that the kids in the photo were white supremacists. Maybe they were. Maybe they were just white supremacists in training. Or maybe they'd never interacted or gone to school with someone that didn't look like them and were dead set on doing so now. Were they acting like white supremacists? Again, I don't know. They didn't want those black kids in the school. Based on some of what I've heard or has been repeated uh, or reported, in terms of what they were saying, there were certainly some racists in the crowd. White supremacists? Kind of a little bit of a different angle there. And again, I feel like words are important. Labels are important. How far we go. Not painting with that broad brush. And not to say something over and over again, like about some high school kids, white supremacists, just to garner a reaction. So, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's fair to ask why Jerry was there. I'd like to ask that of everyone in the photo, including the black students. How did they end up being put in that situation? The post story kind of touches on it, but it doesn't go into depth and it doesn't interview all of the black students who attempted to, to enter that school. The Stephen A. thing is also off-putting because he isn't just fond of Jerry. He's worked with him. He's appeared in a stage TV event with him. I recall seeing, not that long ago, Stephen A. sitting next to Jerry in his private helicopter on their way to a Dallas Cowboys game, if I'm not mistaken. And knowing the publicity hound that Jerry is, I would hope 
Stephen A. didn't base any of his fondness uh, on being in that chopper with Jerry. Not when the ride was televised on ESPN. And look, I understand. I, Stephen A. does all these things because he gets paid handsomely for it. ESPN stretches him far, far too much. To what? I get it. He's visible. He's recognizable. People seem to have a certain affinity for his opinions. I don't put this so much on him, although he always has the ability to say no, as much as I do on those deciding how much they're going to use Stephen A. You can't possibly be well-versed. You can't possibly be thoughtful enough that respects the platform to be doing as much as Stephen A. is doing. It's irresponsible. I don't know how else to put it. Again, this is coming from someone who isn't going to put out a podcast that is not, I've got a pretty healthy audience, but it's not going out to millions. I don't care if I'm going to talk about a subject, a, a subject that is important enough for me to talk about, I want to make sure that I've got it right. So the chances that Stephen A would have a relationship with Jerry if he didn't work for ESPN and didn't have one of the largest platforms a black person could want in sports, I got to think is pretty damn remote. So what insight is he offering us on Jerry Jones? Why is he taking a stand without telling us his reasons for taking it. And I know how TV works, especially sports talk shows. A topic's hot in the public eye. We've got to talk about it because we're catering to an audience. If they care, we care. And I get the sense viewers and listeners have become hip to the fact that the topics are determined not by us, as some out there still think, based on what we like to talk about or even think is important a good deal of the time. The number one reason is because advertising that we're talking about that subject gives us the best chance of drawing a big audience. Sometimes it doesn't even matter what's being discussed. It's just that we're talking about that subject. The level of discourse is often secondary to hitting the right topic. And hot topics translate to big audiences, which translates to big checks from the advertisers. And big checks from advertisers translates to more revenue, raises, and job security for those on the screen talking. But I still maintain there's a way to do it responsibly. And that it's a necessity that we do it responsibly. I've been to about 40 states of the United States. Arkansas is not one. Admit what you don't know. Stay in the lane that you do. Stephen A. spoke about Jerry Jones growing up in the South as if he knew all about it. The Stephen A. I know grew up in New York, worked in Philadelphia, spent a few years on the West Coast, and is now back in New York. If he's got particular insight on Arkansas despite all that, I'd love to know how. It certainly wasn't reflected in his commentary. All he did was shift the focus from why we were made aware of the photo in the first place to how people were reacting to the photo. And then it became about him and his relationship with Jerry Jones. There is so much we could take away from the discovery of that photo and the story that ran with it. A story that I'm pretty darn certain Stephen A. never read. And if he did, I'd like to think his commentary would have been a lot more meaningful or insightful. And he certainly wouldn't have dismissed interest in what Jerry was doing in that photo as unfair. Because the story gave Jerry the opportunity to respond. And it did the legwork to consider every aspect of who Jerry is and what he has done. Talk to any number of people who were there that day. The photo doesn't give you all of that. It doesn't give you nearly as much as what the story does. And for the record, I don't know Jerry. I've been around him. I've been in media scrums while he was being asked questions. I covered an all-star game at his 
Taj Mahal of a stadium with his private elevator that takes him to his private suite. I, in those scrums, I was more taken by just observing him because I was fascinated. I admire him as a businessman and how he's created the Dallas Cowboys into a brand bigger than the NFL. His blind spot when it comes to building a championship team is fairly easy for pretty much anybody to see. But hell, we all have blind spots. Some of us are just more aware of them than others. The photo and his explanation gives me a little more understanding about him. The details of his life growing up, which are in the story, do too. More than anything, though, it deepens my curiosity about him because up until that photo I did not know that he went to a high school that attempted and failed to integrate its student body that doesn't tell me something about him that introduces another aspect of him that I'd like to know more about and now let's address how LeBron James became part of the conversation or more accurately another distraction from the actual conversation that should have been and should be taking place let me begin let me begin by saying i've long found it off-putting that reporters routinely ask lebron non-basketball related questions questions about world events with some sort of thin nba connection daryl morey robert sarver it's easy clickbait. And it's one thing to ask about them as owners or GMs or their business, but it's another to ask them in their connection with larger issues in the world. Because whatever LeBron says is going to draw attention, no matter what. And in many of these cases, it would seem that the only reason he's being asked is because what he says is going to draw attention no matter what. And that's a horrible reason to ask a question. It's pandering. And I'd argue it's counterproductive because, once again, it distracts from the actual topic. What his opinion matters in the larger scheme of things is lost on me. Even I would love to hear from the LeBron fans who believe that he is some sort of icon, what they've gained from him and his giving of his perspective. Now, I suspect he's asked because the reporters know he'll answer. He can't help himself. He wants to be viewed as being well-read, well-rounded, intellectual even. And as I see it, it's taking advantage of him in asking those questions, particularly when the reporters have to know he's not really well-versed about this particular subject. Because his answer then becomes the focus, and again, a distraction from the actual issue. The actual issue gets swallowed by an examination of what LeBron said. I'm fairly certain LeBron didn't read the Post story either. If he had, he'd know that Jerry is out front about his head coaching hiring practice. He hires people he knows. That's what Jerry said. He doesn't subscribe to interviewing candidates and finding the best one. He says this in the story. He's all about hiring from the pool of people he already knows and has a relationship with. He says that's how business works. And that, if he's going to give an explanation about how black people could put themselves in that same circle, he refers to how he went about cultivating those relationships and being willing to do almost anything to further those relationships. And he suggests that that's what any black man who wants to be a head coach in the NFL needs to do. Has to go in above, above and beyond. It's a little bit of, again, of a blind spot because it doesn't take into account that uh, many black men coming up don't have the access to the country clubs and the circles that, uh, that Jerry Jones did as, as a white person, even from Little Rock, Arkansas. But 
He's about hiring from the pool of people he already knows and has a relationship with, and you know who else operates that way? LeBron James. Who's his business partner? Maverick Carter, childhood friend. Who's his agent? Rich Paul, childhood friend. He may be looking to Jerry to help the cause, to take a social justice stand. That's fine. Say that. Had he read the piece, he'd know how to get Jerry to help by meeting with Jerry and appealing to him personally. Now, not too many people have the juice to get that kind of meeting, but I'm pretty sure that LeBron does. And then get that meeting and show Jerry how much you care about this topic. Most important, show Jerry how it could benefit Jerry to get involved. History shows Jerry responds to that. Ask Emmett Smith, former Cowboys running back. As a rookie, he asked and was granted the chance to sit in Jerry's office while he did business deals. They're still close to this day. They've done business deals together. Speak Jerry's language. Offer him a business opportunity in exchange for his support in equality and creating opportunities for more black people with the Cowboys or the NFL. It may sound mercenary. It may sound transactional. Okay. But will it get you where you want to go? If you really care and you really think Jerry can make a difference, then if you're LeBron James, wield your leverage to make it happen. When LeBron wasn't asked about the Jerry Jones photo, my first thought was that the media were doing him a favor. He'd already let the world know he was no longer a Cowboys fan because Jerry Jones did not support Colin Kaepernick. And again, what he should have said is, he does not, Jerry does not support Kaepernick the way I'd like Jerry to support Colin Kaepernick. He, LeBron, said he'd heard that there was a team mandate where if you, uh, you either stand for the anthem or you won't be a Dallas Cowboy. Now, Jerry did take a knee with his team before a Monday night game at the start of the whole Kaepernick controversy. He just refused to do it during the national anthem as Kaepernick had. He did it before. And what Jerry was trying to do was walk a line. He was making a business decision. He was trying to appeal to everyone on both sides. No surprise there. But Cowboys fans booed even the pre-anthem kneeling. And Jerry is first and foremost a businessman. But so is LeBron. Wildly successful businessmen as Jerry and LeBron are, do not allow sentiment to get in the way of doing a deal. After the tape leaked of Rachel Nichols having a conversation with Ari Emanuel about being moved aside at ESPN to accommodate the company's push to be more integrated on TV, a tape that ultimately cost Rachel her job, did LeBron say anything about, I don't even remember if he said anything about Rachel, but I'm pretty certain he didn't say a word about Ari, the man who orchestrated the decision and is one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. Did LeBron say anything about his involvement in that conversation? Hell no. Why? Because from what I've been told, to cross Ari is to eliminate any chance you have of operating in Hollywood's entertainment industry. So if anyone should understand, and again, I'm not suggesting that LeBron should have come out and said anything about Rachel or Ari, but he should, if anyone, he should understand the difficult position Jerry is in owning a successful business in deeply red Texas and supporting social justice. If anybody should understand that, it should be LeBron. He has the same issue with his business entanglements with China, which led to his regret regrettable shot at Maury for tweeting out, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. LeBron was absolutely right when he said the China situation is complicated. He was wrong for saying that Daryl was wrong for 
stating his view of things. Look, most global sports and business entanglements are complicated. Charles Barkley, beloved Charles, strongly considered taking Saudi Arabian money to become a golf analyst for the Live Tour. He decided not to, but it wasn't out of any moral misgivings. TNT just made an offer he ultimately couldn't refuse. I don't know why the reporters didn't ask LeBron about the photo, but LeBron apparently did. He felt the reporters collectively were inherently racist for not asking him because they were quick to ask him about Kyrie Irving. So he used a post-game press conference to ask the reporters gathered there why they hadn't asked him. Why they had asked about Kyrie's posting of an anti-Semitic movie, but not about the Jerry Jones photo. But he wasn't really asking. He waited until the end of the press conference to ask why he hadn't been asked. And he didn't want any answers. Didn't allow for one. He didn't want to make it a conversation. He wanted his question to be a statement. As I took it, a veiled, passive-aggressive accusation. You all didn't ask because you were protecting Jerry. Because you didn't want to put a white man on the spot the way you're all too happy to put a black man, Kyrie, on the spot. I actually think it would make for an interesting conversation. Not necessarily one that should take place in a post-game press conference, but a genuine exchange of perspectives could have created deeper understanding between LeBron and the reporters that cover him on a regular basis and the viewpoints of the media, sports media, and stars, and why there's such a distinction at times between the two. How about inviting some of the reporters that cover him on a regular basis onto his barbershop show to discuss all this? I'd certainly make time to watch that conversation. Instead, I can only think posing the question and then ending the press conference only creates more of a divide. I don't trust you, is essentially what he was saying. You're up to no good. It's smacked of former president, to be honest with you. It was Trumpian. For my one listener out there, by the way, who took exception to me suggesting Trump's popularity was rooted by him using the same playbook that Hitler used to rise to popularity, yes, I'm now comparing LeBron's behavior to Trump's. Do with that what you will. To my knowledge, LeBron hasn't broached the subject since when it comes to Jerry Jones in the photo. Looking to find out why the reporters didn't consider his opinion on the photo important. Or that he's expressed an opinion since then about the photo. Now, I don't care what LeBron thinks of Jerry Jones or Kyrie posting that movie. He doesn't know Jerry and I'm pretty sure no one knows why Kyrie does what he does. What I'd want to know is if LeBron had seen the movie that Kyrie posted, and if so, what he thought about it. But only if he'd seen it. If not, thanks, but no thanks. Because what could he or anybody else for that matter offer that would deepen our understanding of Kyrie and the movie or Jerry Jones and the photo? Jerry's answer, in case you didn't see it, was that he was just a curious kid at the time. Okay, but what was his view of segregation or forced integration at the time? What did he learn from his curiosity that day? And maybe this is just my curiosity, but what was his relationship with the kid with the cigarette? Who was that kid? Or the kid next to him who appeared to be laughing in the face of the black students? The family of one of the black students had a barbecue joint that Jerry and a few of his teammates frequented after this whole event took place. Did he know that one of the students barred from his high school worked in that restaurant, that that restaurant belonged to a family that was not allowed to have their son go to that school? The photo doesn't give answers. It sparks questions. Questions that would have to be explored for us to understand what we should infer from Jerry being in it. 
Questions that most people I've heard talk about the subject don't have answers to. And that would include LeBron. And that's where I would say we have to be better as media. Don't give oxygen to people who don't have any insight into a particular situation. And we, as consumers, as viewers, as readers, have to be better at not breathing oxygen befouled with the noxious fumes of people with no insight. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for staying with me on this unusually long episode. And in the next broadcast, I will be getting to uh, those Boston Celtics or Zion Williamson. I have to tell you, since I last commented on him, on foxsports.com and maybe even here in in the uh, podcast i've seen some things i've seen a change it makes me very curious about where the pelicans could go and what zion could be sometimes things change and sometimes we have to change our opinions with them i will get into all of that in the next episode in the meantime as always thanks for listening catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.